English language that are so misused that sometimes when you use them correctly, it sounds like you're using them wrong. Does that ever happen to you guys? Like, whenever that happens, it literally kills me. Um, of course, what I meant to say was it figuratively kills me because otherwise I'd be laying on the stage dead, right? Now, but of course, that doesn't sound nearly as cool or dramatic as saying that would literally, right, kill me. Um, but that doesn't, you know, unless you're like a grammar geek, that probably is completely, you're completely disinterested uh, by what I'm sharing there, which of course also I meant to say uninterested because disinterested means you're impartial, which you probably aren't in this conversation. Now, for those of you who don't care about any of this, I don't mean to infer that you're dumb. Uh, um, of course, the proper word there would be imply, because infer means to draw a conclusion, right? Now, now I'm sorry, I could go on all day because I'm a grammar nerd, but I know that that would literally drive you up the wall. So um, today, we are doing this slow walk uh, through the uh, uh, book of 2 Corinthians between now and July. And 2 Corinthians is a letter that was written by a guy by the name of Paul who is an apostle, a serial church planter, constantly planting churches all over the place. And today we're just going to look at three verses. And in these three verses, uh, it's, it, there's, there's 10 words. The first 10 words have three words in them that are tricky and that we may misinterpret when we read those three words. They may not mean what we think they mean. And so let's start by looking at these first 10 words and the three tricky words in there. We're just going to go ahead and highlight them for you right at the beginning. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 uh, says this, indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. So let's kind of walk through that and, and highlight those three particular words, uh, indeed. That word indeed in Greek is like an arrow. It's an arrow pointing backward to what was just said. And it's basically declaring that what I'm just about to say is to support and is, is supported by the thing I just said. And so you got to kind of connect the two there. Well, if you were here last week, you know that the last thing that the Apostle Paul just got done saying is that he had faced some deep affliction in his life that was so difficult that that he, he described it as overwhelming. He said he despaired even of life itself and that he felt like he had been facing a sentence of death. That's how difficult his life was, his affliction, his suffering, that it felt like a sentence of death. But in spite of all that, he told us he had hope. And he had hope because he worshiped a God that had risen Jesus from the dead. And if he truly believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, then he was confident that God was there for him and that God had, had, had helped him and saved him and delivered him from some affliction he, he had had previously. So now he was confident that the affliction that he was in right now, he would be delivered again. And not only that, that one day he was pretty sure he'd face more affliction and that God God would deliver him once again. So Paul says, indeed. Indeed, that's the arrow. Paul is saying now, because of what God has done, because of what he has continued to do, because of what he will one day do, he is going to boast. Now, this word is tricky. It's especially tricky for those of us who are Midwesterners. 
Because we tend to think of anything treading even closely to bragging is just way out of line, right? Like we, we as Midwesterners, we just get weird out. I was talking to Pastor James before this, and he was meeting with some people doing a Bible study in this passage, and a lot of them were like, I just don't like Paul's attitude here. Don't like his boasting. That's how we are. Don't we think that boasting is an intrinsically bad thing? Well, this isn't the last time we're going to run into this word in 2 Corinthians. In fact, in Paul's writings that we have in the Bible, he uses the word boast 55 times. And uh, of the 55 times, 29 of them are in this letter. So we're going to see this over and over and over again. So we should probably talk about boasting just a little bit. What is boasting? Well, if your only reference point is the English language and your Midwestern uh, roots, uh, you wouldn't be far off in thinking that this is a negative thing. The Oxford Dictionary describes boasting as to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities, right? And, and everything about that we don't like, right? Especially as Midwesterners, we're like, you know, that's a little bit excessive. We're the people who you bump into somebody in, in the grocery aisle and they apologize to you. That actually happened to me last week in Kroger. I went around the corner, ran into a guy. He's like, sorry. No, it was actually me. I ran into him, but we're like, whoa. He's like, not excessive pride, self, self-satisfaction about good stuff going on in your life. You, you can't have that, right? And so we just don't like it because we think it is brat. But in the original language, in the Greek, it's not so straightforward as that. It can mean that. Boasting can be a negative thing, but it can also be positive. And it's a tricky, tricky uh, word to wrap our heads around. My version of a plain English definition of the word boasting in the Greek is it's seeing something and giving glory to it. Now that word uh, right there is uh, kalphesis or kalphesis, Jesus, however you want to say that because I don't speak Greek. Um, but what this basically means is seeing something and giving glory to it. So that to me raises a big question. When is it okay to boast? That's my question today for a follower of Jesus. So let's take a running start at this using that definition. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump back to 1 Corinthians, the letter before this one, because Paul talks a lot about boasting in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. Here's a few of the things that Paul had to say. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring uh, to nothing what is viewed as something. We love that part of it. That's, that's very Midwestern. Um, so that no one may boast in his presence. I love that. It's pretty clear, actually, right? When we look at how big God is, how little we are, no matter what we do, we can't boast in his presence because we're like, you know what? It's actually him doing all this stuff. That's pretty clear. So let's go to the next one. Just a couple chapters later in chapter three, it says this. It says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. So, this is his application, let, us no, let no one boast in human leaders. Now, we're going to get to this little bit uh, later in the message, but there is something in this world um, that this world would consider wisdom, but it's actually foolishness. 
there's a craftiness, there is a, a reasoning in this world that is futile because it doesn't stand up to God's wisdom. And the example he gives us here is when we boast in human leaders. And the context is that for the Corinthians were bragging about which apostle, apostle they liked the best, which preacher they liked the best, and they would constantly kind of line up in camps around the people that they liked the best. And Paul's like, basically, what's going to happen is if these guys fail, because people fail, the foundation of your faith is going to get shaken because you built it on the, the wrong thing. And what's fascinating is just six chapters later, what does Paul do? He boasts about being an apostle. He boasts about being a, a, a preacher. And because of this, uh, he basically says those who preach, he's like, those who, who minister in the word, um, they deserve to be financially supported for doing that. He kind of lays that whole thing out. And then he says, but I'm not taking any of your money. And there was this point of contention in the, in the Corinthian church in both First and Second Corinthians that there were some financial backers that wanted to support Paul, but he wouldn't take their money. And this is why. It's in chapter 9 of First Corinthians. He says this. He says, uh, 9.15, where is it? Oh, there it is. For my part, I have used none of these rights, the right to be paid, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case, for it would be better for me to die than anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That is sort of a complicated complicated set of verses, right? And this is one of those times where I love, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote a paraphrase in the New Testament, actually the whole Bible actually, um, and, and he does a good job sometimes explaining in common language what this is. And let me just read his paraphrase of this. He says this, he says, still, I want to make it clear that I've never gotten anything out of this for myself, the preaching of the gospel. He says, and I'm not writing to get something. I'd rather die than give anyone ammunition to discredit me or impugn my motives. If I proclaim the message, it's not to get something out of it for myself. I'm compelled to do it. I'm doomed if I don't. So what is Paul boasting about? It's crazy. He's boasting about his sincerity. He's boasting about his clear conscience. He's boasting about his motives. And those of us, again, I keep going back to this as Midwesterners, we're like, I'm not sure that's even allowed. But what he has done is he's seen something that God is doing in his life and he's pointing at it and giving God glory for it. And what was happening is here, we see him setting an example for the Corinthians because they quite simply had a boasting problem. They boasted about how wise they were. They boasted about the leaders that they liked best. Uh, they boasted in front of God. They boasted in front of man. They boasted about the wrong things because they valued the wrong things. And that's why Paul wouldn't take their money. <laughs> it would give them one more thing to boast about. So instead, he, 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 he shows them what is worthy about being boasted about, and he continues that theme in 2 Corinthians. So now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians and look at our verse again, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. Conscience is also something in the Bible that's not always positive. Sometimes you can actually have a seared conscience. You can have a, a conscience that has been kind of corrupted. And so it's not always a positive thing either. But here he's saying it in a positive sense. And it makes sense. Paul is saying because of all that he had written in, in 1 Corinthians and all he had kind of built up to now, he's able to say, my conscience is clear. About what? 
Well, we've only covered half a verse. So let's look at the whole thing. Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. What Paul is saying here is that he has a clear conscience in how he has conducted himself, especially toward the Corinthians. I think that's a fascinating word, especially. We don't know exactly why this is or what this is, but there was something about the Corinthians that he had to kind of be a little bit careful about, right? And, and, and we don't know what it is. We know that there's a lot of people there that were making accusations. It could be that the Corinthians were particularly prickly, you know, people that maybe they were easily offended. We don't know, but for some reason he kind of had to walk on eggshells with them. So he was especially careful with them, but because he was especially careful, he could boast that his conscience was clear. And then what he does is he gives us four things that he was proud of, that he was able to sort of boast about that are a picture of things that we should all aspire to. The first thing he mentions is, is godly sincerity. What is godly sincerity? Well, in the original language there, the word sincerity means single-mindedness. It means having integrity because you're genuine and you're kind of locked in on something, so it's kind of a a lack of being self-seeking. In other words, it was somebody who was the real deal. Somebody who, 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 who was selfless, who said what they were going to do, and then they did the thing that they said they were going to do. They, he lacked hypocrisy. You could count on them. It was notable here is because the people in Corinth were upset at Paul because they didn't think he was following through on the things he said he was following through on. And we're going to get to that next week, right? And, and so this was an issue with them. And he was like, listen, I have godly sincerity here. My conscience is clear. But they didn't think so. They, they questioned his motives. They piled on him and he assured them that especially with them, his conscience is clear. The second thing Paul and Timothy was, were confident in was purity. And, and, and the imagery behind the word purity is, is really powerful. It's got this idea that you take something and you carry it outside and you hold it up to the sun and look at it so you can see it clearly. I was talking to somebody earlier about like, without these glasses, I can't see anything right here. So it's like, but you carry it out there, you got your glasses on, you're looking at it in the sun and you completely inspect it and make sure it is what it's supposed to be, right? And you're able to spin this thing around in the sun and look at it and go, yep, that, that, that is about right. And what Paul is basically saying is, take me out into the sun. Take Timothy, who he's writing with, out into the sun, hold us, spin us around in in the light, put your glasses on, and and there will be no there there. Your accusations are going to fall flat because they will not stand up to a vigorous investigation. Now I want to stop there for a second because we're walking closely to our answer to the question I posed. When is it okay to boast. See, so often we boast, um, we're actually bragging, not boasting. And those are two different things. Bragging comes from insecurity. In fact, the most braggadocious people, you can probably think of a few maybe in your life, maybe in our world, right? They have a, a thin veneer of swagger that is covering a heaping pile of insecurity, 
And that insecurity usually comes from one of two places. It's either that they know that they're not all that and they're afraid they're going to be found out or they have imposter syndrome where they believe that maybe they aren't all that and they're going to be found out. But one way or another, they kind of put this veneer on and some people have such a strong veneer that they begin to believe their own candy coating, right? They begin to believe their own message and they become self-deceived and that's when the next bit comes in because Paul says he is confident that his conduct was not with human wisdom. Well, what's that? Well, here's the, th- the weird thing. Most of us think, well, wisdom is what? Wisdom is wisdom, right? Isn't wisdom wisdom? And wisdom is always a positive thing? Again, that's another tricky word. We think of all wisdom as positive, but the Bible makes a distinction that there is some wisdom that is worldly or fleshly instead of godly. There's one famous passage about this that we're going to just go jump into for a quick second and then jump back. It's in James 3. And in James 3, it says this. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there's disorder in every evil practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, then gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And, And I love this section because James starts by asking a great question. Who among you is wise? Who among you is wise? And then what he does is he contrasts two types of wisdom. Human wisdom, which he goes on to describe as earthly and unspiritual and demonic, (laughs) and godly wisdom, which he calls wisdom that comes down from above. In fact, you could take his list there and you could put it into two lists. Human wisdom is made up of bitter envy, selfish ambition, it denies the truth, disorder and evil practices flow from it. But then godly wisdom is good conduct and gentleness and pure and it's peace-loving and it's gentle again, compliant, full of mercy, full of good fruit, unwavering, without pretense. And here's the thing. If we want to know if we're living our lives according to human wisdom or godly wisdom, we just got to look at this mirror in fact, the book of James actually describes a, a, a fool as somebody who, who looks at himself in a mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But he says, he who looks intently into the perfect law um, is God. I'm paraphrasing because I'm just ad-libbing here. So that was earlier in James, a uh, little tangent. So this is a mirror. So what do we do with a mirror like this? We just look at it and see what it tells us about ourselves. So let's look at it for a second. Envy, what is envy? Well, envy is looking at something that somebody else has and wanting it for yourself because you want to kind of take it away from them. So like jealousy is like, oh, I'm just jealous of what you have. Envy is like, no, 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 I want it. <laughs> like, and if, even if it means that you don't get it, uh, that, I, I want it. So the bitter envy is like the extreme version of that where it becomes all-consuming in your life where you want that thing that other person has regardless of what it's going to take. It is the thesis of Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. <laughs> Jesse is a friend. 
Yeah, I, I know, he's been a good friend of mine. But lately, something's changed. And it's not hard to define. Jesse got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. She's watching him with those eyes. She's loving him. And doesn't it get creepy when you say it instead of sing it, right? But that is the definition of envy. That's bitter envy. We look at what somebody else has, be it a relationship or a, a, a success or position or influence, and we're like, I want that so badly that I don't mind if I take it from you. I would be happier if you didn't have it and I had it. So why is this called human wisdom? Because our world says, go get it. It doesn't matter who you hurt. Follow your heart. Climb the ladder. It's selfish ambition. In the Bible, ambition isn't always bad. When it's bad, that word shows up at the beginning. <laughs> selfish ambition. It's about me. Human wisdom denies the truth. What truth? Well, if you're asking that question, you're already in this camp. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. Disorders, evil practices, they're also all defined. The truth, as well as what is a disorder and what is evil, is all here. And if the fact that this is where we get the definition of those things trips you up, you're still kind of in this column. But a person seeking godly wisdom will have good conduct that is done with gentleness. They will be pure. Take it out into the sun, put on your glasses, spin it around, look at it. They'll be peace-loving and gentle again. I think it's fascinating in this passage, James lists gentleness twice, so maybe we need to pay attention to that one. Let's camp on gentleness for a second. We tend to think of gentleness as weakness. We tend to think of gentleness as, as cowardice, but it's not. It's, gentleness is the recognition of the value and fragility of the thing that you're dealing with. It's the recognition of the value and fragility of the thing you're dealing with. And so you treat it with care. Think of a mom with a baby or the first time you hand a baby to a, a little kid. And they go, like, right, that, that thing? This right here is my favorite pipe. So if you didn't know I smoked a pipe, I apologize, you just learned. So, um, so th this is my favorite pipe. Um, it's made out of something called meerschaum. And what meerschaum is, is it's a Turkish stone. It's a soft Turkish stone. In fact, it's so light that the stem is almost heavier than the, the pipe part here. It's really light. Um, and if I was to drop this right now on the stage, it would break. It would shatter into a bunch of pieces, which is why I have a case, right? And so sometimes I'll be out and I'll be sitting in uh, around a fire with uh, some other like uh, pipe smokers and inevitably one of them will say, is that a meerschaum pipe? Um, and, and, and so often I'll describe to some big, burly, tattooed guy what it is and then I'll hand it to him and he will gently cradle it in his hand. And they'll be gentle because they will understand the value and they will understand the fragility of the pipe. Every single person you interact with 
is created in the image of God. They have, because of that, intrinsic value, simply because they are created in the image of God, every single person. And every person you meet has faced some stuff in their life that has beat them down. Some of them are being beat down today. You never know what someone is facing in the moment that you interact with them. And so when they interact with you, maybe in not such a godly and gentle way, you don't know what is behind that. And when you begin to recognize the value and the fragility of every human being, you will handle them with care, with gentleness. James goes on and says, compliant, which means you bend toward the will of others instead of yourself. He says you're full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without pretense. So let's go back to our question. When is it okay to boast? Well, put up the list again. It's when we put up this list and we look into it and we have a clear conscience before the Lord that he is transforming us from this into this. We see the change in our life and we recognize it and what do we do? We point at God and give him the glory. Does the fact that Paul says he could boast about this mean that he had all of his ducks in a row and he's absolutely perfect? No, the key thing he says is back in that verse, let's go back to 2 Corinthians, he says this. He says, it is by God's grace. And this makes all the difference in the world because in his last letter to the Corinthians, he had said this, and I love these words. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And my grace, the grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That sounds like boasting. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Think about how balanced what Paul just said is. He says, this is who I am. And he wasn't saying it as in, you know, I am who I am, so deal with it, right? That's not the tone. What does he say? He says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. In other words, what he's saying is, if there's anything good going on in my life that you see, it ain't me. <laughs> if you see anything good going on, it's, it's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that I am who I am. He's the one who's transformed me from the inside out. In other words, this is all God's work. And so when I see myself doing something amazing, I could go, that's amazing. When I'm actually patient, when I'm driving in traffic and I don't want to run the person off the road, I, I just stop and say, that is amazing. God is doing something, right? Because there's nothing in me that is in this. His grace, which means getting what we don't deserve is being poured out on us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in that same boat. The cross of Jesus levels the playing field and, and, and causes it so that none of us can boast about anything but the cross. We are sitting under the shadow of the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins onto himself and he gave us his righteousness. It's what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. He takes sin, we get righteousness. And when we see ourselves becoming more like Jesus, we should be so amazed <laughs> and we point at him and give him all the glory. Paul says, for we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. This is likely a quote. He's likely quoting something that they said to him where they were like, you, you're hard to understand, Paul. And he's writing back and said, I only write things that you can understand. <laughs> we're like, oh, Midwesterners are like, what? That's passive aggressive. 
Yeah, it is what it is. He says, I only write things you understand. He says, I hope you understand completely, just as you have partially understood us so far, right? And there's actually a little play on the words in, in the Greek here, and I don't understand Greek. I have to use a dictionary to figure all this stuff out. Two words that sound the same. He is responding to a complaint by them by flipping around. They're like, you're hard to understand. He flips it around and uses the word for read and understand. Apparently, it's a great joke in the Greek. We don't get to know it because we don't know Greek. Um, I, I don't get the joke. I don't get the play in words. But the message is still clear. Some people don't understand Paul. Some are deliberately misinterpreting what he says. So he says, read my actual words. Read the words that are coming out of my pen, right? He's like, I just don't get mad about something I didn't write. Like, he's like, L listen to what I actually said. And see, he's defending himself there. And then he ends with this beautiful kicker, which I think is so cool and wraps this whole thing up in a boat for me. It's verse 13 and 14. He says, for we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. I hope that you'll understand completely just as you have partially understood us that we are your reason for pride just as you are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It's beautiful. Do you see it? What he's saying is one day, Jesus will return. And on that day, we're gonna look at each other and what we're gonna see in each other is how God meant for each one of us to be. Our sin will be crucified to that cross with Jesus, buried in the ground with him, that when he rose from the dead, we get his life. And so our sin will be buried forever. forever. And so other people will be our pride. Paul will be the Corinthians' pride. They will be his pride. I will be your pride. You will be my pride. So what would happen if we started living like the day of our Lord Jesus today? What if we committed to treating each other with the gentleness that Jesus has treated us with? What if we started boasting of others when we see God transforming them from the inside out. One of the huge problems in the Corinthian church is the same problem that we have in the American church, and is that we're just divided. Our boasting causes that dividing. When our division, when we boast on human wisdom, because we make it all about ourselves. But when we boast in Jesus, when we boast in one another, it brings us together in unity rather than dividing. One day, we are gonna see each other in that day of our Lord Jesus in glory, and we're gonna boast about one another, so why don't we start now? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing one more song, and in the song, there's a line that I want you to reflect on. And this is the line. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection.
And, and what th that song is saying is, is when we boast of our own gifts or our own power or our own wisdom, we're missing the whole point. We boast in Jesus. And, and, and whenever our gifts or our power, our wisdom actually lines up with godly wisdom, we're still not boasting in ourselves. We could point to Jesus, to his death and resurrection and all that it accomplished for us. Our boasting isn't anything that we bring to the table. Not our gifts, not our power, not our wisdom. We boast in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So would you stand with me and then I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing one more song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection. And we declare that we will not boast in anything. <laughs> not our gifts, not our power, not our wisdom, but we'll boast in Jesus Christ. Help us to not be braggadocious people. Help us to not place ourselves at the center of every single thing that we do. But when we see you doing something, help us to be bold and to call it out. Help us to be thankful when you're changing us and making us more into your image. Help us to, when we see that in others and we see them behaving in ways that they never behaved before, but now they're, they're living with patience and, and gentleness. Uh, help us to call that out so that God can get the glory. Not so that we can point to that person and say, they're great, but so that as always, we can point to you and to say, you are, and your son is, and the Holy Spirit is working inside of us is. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name, in the name of the one who died and rose again. We pray all these things, amen.